Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. This morning, as we look in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, we're going to be primarily looking at uh, verses 4 through 6. And uh, as we saw a couple weeks ago, this church was a charismatic church, uh, meaning that they boasted about having all the spiritual gifts, is what uh, Paul talks about in verse number 7. And uh, as we saw uh, a couple weeks ago, even though they boasted about all their spirituality and all their spiritual gifts, so forth and so on, uh, Paul says that they were ignorant when it comes to things that were spiritual, true spirituality. Uh, these Corinthian believers had a false spirituality. Remember, we were talking about that they were not saved or they didn't know the Lord. Uh, but the way that they used the spiritual gifts within the church uh, mimicked the same way that they used to use uh, spirituality in the pagan world in which uh, they lived and the lifestyle which they used to live. And so they had this false spirituality when it came to using spiritual gifts. We need to remember that spiritual gifts are not for our own personal benefit, but they are for the benefit for others within the body of Christ. Remind you again about our definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. And so Paul's main emphasis in this passage that we're going to be looking at, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, is of unity, of which these Corinthian believers lacked. Uh, they didn't have unity, they didn't live uh, in a way that, uh, that, that showcased unity, um, and we see that uh, early on as we work our way, as you read through 1 Corinthians, you see that there was a lot of disunity uh, these Corinthian believers, they were status seekers who judged themselves and others on the basis of their spiritual gifts. Uh, in the earlier chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, we can find that divisions existed in the church. From what Paul writes in chapters 12 through 14, it would be difficult to believe that spiritual gifts were not the basis for some divisions in the church. The Corinthians divided over different leaders and probably the leaders who seemed to possess the most highly regarded gifts were the ones with the largest followings. And it's no different today in our Christian circles. There are divisions amongst Christians regarded who has the best, the biggest, and the most visible ministry even today. Um, I've seen in my own time how I've behaved and how uh, others have behaved in Christian circles that just because a person has a larger ministry than another, then that means that, that that ministry is more important or because that person may have a larger uh, platform of which they uh, are using uh, what God has and is doing in their life. Um, some seem to think that, um, that they're more spiritual than others. Um, we may think that's absurd to think that we would never compete with one another or for position and power, but yet that's exactly what happened in, these, uh, in this church in Corinth. Um, and it's really what happened in Jesus' day as well. Remember the disciples arguing who was going to be sitting on the right hand of, of Jesus, right? 
Uh, and even the disciple's own mother comes and says, okay, uh, you know, you really need to allow my son to do this, right? Um, so there was problems even there, and we still have uh, that type of attitude as well. And so Paul corrects many misconceptions regarding spiritual gifts and the relationship to spirituality. These words that uh, we're going to be looking at here in verses 4 through 6, they were needed in Paul's day as well as our own. Nearly every church, denomination, and Christian organization has its own spiritual pecking order regarding spiritual gifts and spirituality. We think that we're more important, that we're better, that we have this, that we have that. These people don't have that. They don't have this. We're far superior than they are, so forth and so on and so on and so on. It continues and continues. And uh, so each of us needs to hear what Paul has to say about uh, these things. And I, I want to encourage you to listen today with an open heart and mind, not to confirm what we already believe, but for correction in those areas where we may be uninformed or disobedient. So here's what I want you to take away with you today. Diversity of gifts is valuable and useful. Don't allow it to cause disunity. Diversity of gifts is valuable and useful. Don't allow it to cause disunity. So let's take note here, uh, some things here in our text. The Corinthians' problem with spiritual gifts. Now, we will be greatly helped, I believe, in understanding Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts if we pause to reflect on the Corinthians' problem in this area. What was their problem? Well, it was basically pride and arrogance. That was their problem. We see this uh, found in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, 4, 7 through 13, 4, 18 through 21, uh, 5, 2, 8, 1, and also 2 Corinthians 10. This was their problem, pride and arrogance. And so when it came to matters of spirituality, when it came to matters of how the gifts were supposed to be used within the church, there was pride and arrogance that followed uh, with their use of the gifts. So from what Paul has to say in chapters 12 through 14, we can be quite certain some of the Corinthians' pride lay in the possession of certain gifts or the following of some with those esteemed gifts. I think this is most evidence of what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, uh, it nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So from this verse, we can see some evidence of their pride and arrogance with these principles. Here they are. Number one, they prized certain gifts and despised others. What gifts were they prizing? It was mostly the, uh, the super spiritual gifts, right? That of prophecy and that of, of being able to speak in tongues, right? These, these are things they prized. They, they were like, oh, man, if you have this gift, boy, you are really super spiritual. And yet they despised the other gifts that, uh, as we'll see, were very useful uh, within the church. Because of this, this resulted in many seeking to obtain gifts that God had not given them, and those possessing certain lowly gifts, 
feeling that they had no contribution to make at all. We also see that those with the visible and verbal gifts use them to show off in the church meeting. We see this clearly in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Uh, so they were being used as a status of spirituality within the church. And just because they had that gift, uh, they were making a show of it, a public show of, look what I have, look what I have. You guys are not as spiritual as we are. We also see that those with the best gifts, the ones that they felt were the best gifts, felt that they were self-sufficient and didn't need to depend on the less visible members of the body. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And see, these believers here at Corinth were not depending upon other members of the body who were not as visible. You need every single part of your body, every single part. There are some parts that are more visible, and there are some parts that we cover up, but they're still needed. So these believers at Corinth were almost in a way saying, I am so self-sufficient, I don't need these other people in my life. I don't need these believers over here because look what I have. God has blessed me in such a miraculous way. I don't need you guys. You see the pride, you see the arrogance that comes from that. We also see in chapter 12, Paul stresses unity with diversity of different gifts. And so in this breakdown of these chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14, we see Paul trying to help them understand the, what the purpose of these gifts were for. And in chapter 12, Paul is stressing unity with the diversity of the gifts. And we see that every gift is necessary for the proper function of the church. Diversity of gifts must not become the cause of disunity, but must promote the unity and interdependence of Christians. And so Paul shows that the Corinthians' assessment of the gifts is incorrect and that a wide diversity of spiritual gifts is God's plan and purpose. Those who promote certain gifts above others fail to understand that all are not meant to possess any one of the gifts. We also see in chapter 13 that Paul stresses the attitude in which we use the gifts. Remember, it's the whole love chapter, right? And he says, you're not using them correctly. You guys are using them for yourself. You're not using them to edify others. You're not using it to show love towards others. And so the attitude of how they used the gifts was wrong. Without love, even the greatest gifts are of diminished value. Love is most lacking in Corinth because and causes the great wealth of giftedness in the church to be nullified or at least greatly hindered because of that lack of love. The Corinthians valued the gifts more than love, but Paul shows that while the gifts and all of them are temporary, right, love is permanent. Uh, it will endure forever. Then in chapter 14, we see that Paul stresses edification, which is a guiding principle for the exercise of any and all the gifts. 
And so that's why we should be using our spiritual gifts, and it's to edify the believers. It's to edify the church. They're not for our own personal benefit. They're for the benefit of others. And so Paul focuses, we'll see in chapter 14 when we get there, that he'll focus on two gifts in particular, tongues and prophecy. And these gifts exercised in love are those gifts exercised with a view to edifying or building up others. And we see that tongues which are not interpreted are not edifying, for no one knows what is said. Right? It's intelligible. We don't know what you're saying. Um, for no one... Uh, and, and then with prophecy, on the other hand, it does not require an interpreter, and thus it is the most more profitable gift unless tongues are interpreted. And the principle of edification Paul sets out in the earlier verses of chapter 14 should be applied in the context of the church meeting. When the church gathers together, the purpose should be that of edification. And so we use our gifts, it should be for edification. And so knowing about their problem, this allows us now to put into context these verses, verses 4 through 6, in their, in their proper context. So let's look at a second thing in our teaching on spiritual gifts that Paul is trying to help us with. So we see here in verse 4, uh, 5, and 6, here's the text. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So their diversity in gifts should produce unity. Now, I say should because just because you have diversity doesn't mean you have unity. You have to work at it. We have to be willing to set aside our differences and things that we hold to and our, our traditions and our uh, ways that we have made, been brought up and even in this case, the way that we're gifted to allow unity uh, to be a part of that. I believe this is clearly evidenced in these Corinthian believers. This is where we must be careful as well and not jockey for power, prestige, or position within the church body. Because of what spiritual gifts, services, or activities we may have or don't have and what others may or may not have as well. That is not the way of Christ. That's why I believe it is so dangerous for churches to be built upon one personality, right? Or one person. Uh, because the church is a body. It's all of us together, collectively. That's why we practice biblical eldership here, right? that we have other elders who are qualified to be able to shepherd the congregation. This is why I believe it's important for us to all be taking part within the church body when we meet together. Uh, because it's not just about just a select few individuals. All of us have a part uh, in edifying the body of Christ. Notice what Paul says here. Now there are varieties of gifts he says there are varieties of service and there are varieties of activities. Now, this, these verses would have been a very hard pill to swallow to these Corinthian believers because they had an elitist view of spirituality and ministry. 
They're saying, we're the only ones, we're the only ones, we're so special, look how God has gifted us. Ooh, 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 ooh. And Paul says, no, you guys, not only do you have a false spirituality, but also you don't even understand how the spiritual gifts are supposed to be at work within the church. There's varieties of gifts. There's varieties of spiritual, of service, and there's varieties of activities. You see, even still today in churches, there are people who think they are more spiritual than others because you fill in the blank. That's an elitist view of spirituality. I am more important than this brother over here, this sister over here, because whatever. Do we not understand and remember that you have been saved by God's grace? You deserve nothing, nothing. And the gifts that God gives us, they are gifts of grace. We don't deserve them at all. So why on earth would we ever think that we are more spiritual or more important than somebody else because we have certain gifts. See, we ought to remove that thinking out of our minds. And see, this is what Paul was trying to help these believers at Corinth to understand as well. We are saved by God's grace, and God gifts us by his grace, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Paul contends that the gifts of God which equip men and women for ministry are many splendored things. Notice what he says, varieties of gifts, varieties of service or ministry, varieties of activities, he says. So let's try to grasp what Paul here is saying about this so we can understand diversity uh, and unity. Varieties of gifts here is what he says in verse 4. Not only in number, but numerous in kind. I do believe that this means that there are different gifts. But I also understand this to mean that these gifts to be not only many in number, but also numerous in kind. Let me give you a few biblical illustrations to help you grasp what Paul, I believe, means by this. In Exodus 31, 1 through 5, in the days of Moses, God gifted Bazael as a master craftsman so that he could oversee the task of fashioning the furnishings and equipment for the tabernacle. This man was a master craftsman with skills that surpassed any other living craftsman. And God gifted him in that way to be able to do what God was was wanting to be done with the tabernacle. In Numbers 11.25, we see that God gave the gift of prophecy to the 70 elders. In 1 Samuel 10.10-13, through 13, kings like Saul were given gifts of the Spirit to equip them for their ministry. We find some gifts are linked with official functions like apostles and prophets, evangelists, as we looked at a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 4.11. Some gifts are very spectacular and are not necessarily, they don't necessarily happen every day and are ongoing. Other gifts, which I would like to call the bread and butter gifts, I I believe we find those in uh, Romans 12, gifts of mercy, gift of giving, right? 
all those, those are the bread and butter gifts. Those gifts are needed for ongoing ministry within the church. And so there, there, are, there are a variety of gifts here, but there, I believe there are many kinds of those gifts as well. I'm suggesting then that a very wide range of gifts is possible because Christians may possess more than one spiritual gift and that our gifts, in fact, may be a blend of gifts. So when we think about that, right, like we have the listing of spiritual gifts within, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, we see it in Romans 12, we see it in Ephesians 4, and also in 1 Peter 4. And we see that basic uh, definition of those gifts, the listing of those gifts, but there can also be blendings of those gifts. And so there are various kinds of giftings within the church as well. Let me give you an illustration to help us understand this. When we think of food ingredients, I believe that we can all agree that sugar, flour, and salt are all different, right? Right? Hopefully, right? You don't want to... The, the recipe calls for two cups of sugar and you put in two cups of flour, right? We, we can all agree, right? They're, they're, they're different, they're diverse, right? But they're all food ingredients. Other ingredients such as milk, eggs, cinnamon, lard, right? All the, Those are all food ingredients as well. And we can also agree that when we look through a cookbook there might be certain recipes that call for different amounts, a different blending of those gifts, which yield a variety of different types of foods. Think about that within the church. God brings people together within a body, and he gifts us certain ways, certain blendings, so that way we're all edified and built up within the church. And so, I mean, almost in a way, God's up there, you know, he's got his cookbook, and he's, he's adding some salt here, and he's adding some sugar over here, he's adding some lard over here, right, and he's, adding, he, he's, he's blending it all together, and it's for his own purpose, his own sovereign will uh, in our lives. I also believe that with the varieties of gifts, some gifts may be evident at certain seasons of life. They may be evident at one period of our life, but not necessarily another. One may not appear to possess a certain gift at the present time, but may suddenly manifest that gift at a time when that ability is required. Remember our definition of spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church. And so God uses gifts various times in our life to help edify the church, mature the church, help us all grow in that spiritual maturity. In Luke 3, 21 through 22, and also uh, Luke uh, 4, 1 through 21, our Lord trusted in his Father from the beginning, but he was not empowered by the Spirit until the time had come for his ministry to begin. Paul was called an apostle in eternity past. We see Paul making that assertion. 
but he did not begin to function as an apostle until a number of years after his salvation. In Acts 13.1, we see that Paul didn't officially begin using his gift of apostleship until the Holy Spirit set Barnabas and Saul apart for their apostolic ministry. In Acts 13.6-13, the Spirit came upon him in a unique, unexpected way, and from that time on, Paul was designated as the leader. Was Paul gifted by God to be an apostle at the time of his conversion? It seems he could have been. But his gift was not evident until the time came for him to function as an apostle years later. There are more than a few gifts, and when given to us in a wide variety of blends, no two Christians look or function alike. There is a great diversity of spiritual gifts. There is one spirit who empowers us all, is what Paul says. And he is the basis for the unity in which we all should expect and experience in this great diversity of giftedness. Here's the second thing. He talks about varieties of service or ministries. Not only is there a broad spectrum of gifts and giftedness, but verse 5 says there is also a, broad, a very broad spectrum of ministries or services in which these gifts are deployed. We must not stereotype the services or ministries to only certain gifts. There are an infinite ways in which a particular gift may be employed. The spiritual gift is the God-given ability. The ministry is the sphere in which our divine enablement is exercised. Evangelism does not have to happen in a large stadium or at a one-time event. It may occur in a living room or, in a, or around a kitchen table. And see, do you see, do you see how this, when, when we talk about stuff like this, a person may be like, oh, wow, that person, they're so spiritual. Look at the following they have. But then you have somebody who is faithful to God, and they may meet with somebody once a week at Taco Bell, and they're sharing God's word with them. Are you telling me that the person who has the large following is more spiritual than the person who is faithfully meeting with somebody at Taco Bell and sharing God's word with them? You see, we must not elevate certain statuses above another because God uses it all for his own purpose and his own uh, good. Teaching can be done formally or informally. It does not always happen in a classroom or from up behind a lectern. Not only is there a wide diversity of spiritual gifts, there is also an even broader range of ministries through which these gifts are exercised. But in the midst of this diversity is the same Lord who orchestrates our lives so that each of us ends up exercising our gifts in the context which he has purposed and provided. I think it's safe to say that our ministries may change over a period of time. Certainly this was true for the Apostle Paul, who ministered effectively for years before functioning as an apostle. Not until after his first missionary journey did Paul begin to exercise his gifts through writing epistles. Uh, I believe also, like another example of this would be Joseph. 
Joseph appears to have been given the gift of administration, and it begins to emerge when he is still a youth of 17, working for his father back home and far surpassing his brothers in skill. His administrative skills emerge in the household of Potiphar and in the prison and finally in the service of Pharaoh. This should give us great excitement to know that the ministry that you are using, your spiritual gift in, not only differs from that of others who have similar gifts, but that ministry 10 years from now may be very different from what it is at this very moment. How awesome is that, right? God doesn't just put us in a rut, right? He uses us in different ways. And so the giftedness that you may have now may change over time. Uh, this is why I believe that, you know, we should be open to whatever God wants to do in our lives and not just think, well, this is the only thing I'm called to, right? God may change uh, things in our life with that. Here's the last one he talks about, varieties of activities or effects. Some teachers draw larger crowds and seem to be more effective at communicating the truth than others. Some evangelists have a larger platform to proclaim the gospel as where others just the kitchen table. Is one better than the other? No. Is one more spiritual than the other? No. Is one more effective than the other? No. There are different levels of effectiveness or, should I say this word, success, right? We sometimes use that word, success. We need to remember that even though there are these different levels of effectiveness or success, these levels have nothing to do with our natural skills or abilities, it is a gift of grace. They are the result of God's sovereign will. And this success has little or nothing to do with our spirituality as well. Jonah was one of the most successful prophets. He went and preached to the, uh, to the city there of Nineveh. And how many of them repented? All of them did. The whole town repented at Jonah's preaching. Wow, what an amazing ministry. Whoa, wow, what a guy, man. God has really blessed his ministry. Boy, God is just using him in a tremendous way. We ought to follow Jonah. Let's follow Jonah. Was Jonah spiritual? No. What was he doing? He's over there complaining. I can't believe, God, you saved all these people. I just ugh, I can't believe that. Isaiah, very faithful, followed God. You know how many people converted, listened to what Isaiah had to say during his uh, time when he was a prophet? We look at Isaiah's ministry, we look at Jonah's ministry, and we might say, well, hey, Boy, this guy, this guy has, has more, more influence, right? But in reality, it's what God wants. It's what, what God desires. We just, just seem to be the, the tool in which God uses us for that. 
affects not only refers to the successes of a particular person in ministry, but to the nature of the results. Now, follow me carefully here. For this is a very important distinction, I believe. We think far too simplistically here. We suppose the gift of teaching takes place in a ministry where there is a class, a classroom, a podium. And the effect of this gifted teacher's ministry, we would believe, is of learning. But what is the goal of instruction? Is it learning? I believe that it should be obedience. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In addition, Paul links teaching or instruction with love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge, the aim of our teaching is love that issues out of a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. Philippians 1.9-11, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When we think of the gift of evangelism, sometimes we think of it as being able to communicate the gospel in a very unique way, and it does have that effect, but it's, but it's not so much as some special way of presenting the gospel as much as it is the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. See what I'm saying? Some people may be very... They may have the gift of gab, you know, and they, they can talk and they can, they can uh, make, make really good arguments and so forth and so on. But is that the goal of evangelism? The goal of the evangelism is presenting the truth of the gospel. As I look at the ministry of our Lord, I see him teaching about whom God is and how God has revealed himself in his son Jesus, not evangelizing, right? Paul tells the Ephesian saints in Ephesians 4, 17 through 20 that they did not learn Christ in a fleshly way. And so God is perfectly capable of using a teaching, discipling ministry to bring people to faith in Christ. This is what I'm saying, that there are varieties of effects in how God uses the gifts. These Corinthian believers thought that this gift could only be used for this. And because I have this gift, that means I'm more important, more special than anybody else. But see, God doesn't work that way. God is capable of taking certain gifts and using them in a certain way to bring about an effect totally different than what we may think it's supposed to be used for. In 1 Corinthians 14.31, we read these words, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. The gift and ministry of prophecy produces learning and exhortation. I would have expected the gift of teaching to produce learning and the gift of exhortation to produce exhortation. The function of a particular gift may produce a result and effect which we would expect to be the result of another gift. The gift of helps, I believe, can be used in producing evangelism. Think about it. What if, what if you were, let's just say God has gifted you in the gift of helps, 
and yet, in a way, you, you want to help people, you have a desire to help people, and let's just say you drive around with a gas tank in your car, all, everywhere you go, and then when you see somebody stranded on the side of the road, you have a gas can, maybe they're out of gas, right, you could help them, and then that allows you an opportunity to share your faith in Christ, right? So this is what I'm saying. There, certain gifts don't have to be packaged in a certain way in order for an effect to take place. God is capable of using them in all kinds of different ways. The gift of giving and helps may produce the effect of encouragement. The gift of evangelism may teach those of us less gifted in evangelism to evangelize better. The point is the Holy Spirit gives each and every Christian spiritual enablement. The spiritual gifting may be expressed in a vast number of ministries, and the end result of our gifts and ministries may be quite different than what we expect. Can you predict what God will do with your gift and how he will want it to be used? Can you predict that? You can't. Because God is sovereignly in control and he will use these gifts as he pleases to accomplish his purpose and plan. Who would use a Jonah to save Nineveh? Would you? I mean, look, look, at, look at what he was doing, right? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, I think that means Tarshish. Would, would you pick him? Would you? No, but God did. Anybody want to sign up for that one? Would you want to do that? Who would choose a Saul to become a Paul? Would you choose the guy that's murdering Christians to write a third of the New Testament and plant churches and you know, just be a, a, a force that, that God used? Would you, would you pick a Saul? We wouldn't, but God did. These believers at Corinth were stressing that there are a select few spiritual gifts that could only be used in certain ministries by certain people for certain results. How crazy is that? But yet that's exactly what they were doing. And sadly, sadly, I believe this still takes place in many churches today as well. We say that only certain people can have this ministry. Oh, only, only these people. Oh, oh, how, how long have you been here? Oh, oh, you haven't been here very long? Oh, well, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you, you got to pass the test first, you know, because we know, we know who's spiritual that can take place in these certain types of ministries, right? How crazy is that? God is using the whole body to bring about an effect and help the church be edified and uh, to mature in that. So how does the diversity of the gifts produce unity? Let's wrap this up real quick. Let's look at our text again. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Mark it, the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. With all these distinctions, there should be a fundamental unity because behind gifts, ministries, and effects, there is one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and the Father God. 
And our unity comes from the very nature of God himself. And so too does our diversity. This is why we should be striving for and working towards unity in the body of Christ, even though we are so diverse in our gifting, because what a better way to put on display the triunity of God than through our diverseness. When we use our diverse gifts through varieties of service and a variety of activities sacrificially for the edification of each other, it displays the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and the Father God. Likewise, the opposite is true when we focus more on my gift for me, my ministry for me, my service for me. The result is pride and arrogance. And it's that pride and arrogance that forces unity and edification to take a back seat and we take the focus off the triune God and the focus is put on to us. So let's make sure that even with the diverseness of our gifts, that we are using them for the purpose of edification, sacrificially using them so that there might be unity within the church. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.